Welcome back to Page of the Wind, the podcast that unilaterally discards all Batman canon that comes before Matt Reeves' The Batman 2022. This is page 607. I stopped that line of thinking before it could turn from anxiety to panic. Let's go then, I said, pleased at the calm timbre of my voice. The three of us crept forward as the last of the light slowly bled from the sky. In the gray, Martin and Tempe were difficult to see, which reassured me. If it was hard for me, it would be near impossible for sentries to spot us from a distance. Soon I spied firelight reflecting off the undersides of high branches ahead. Crouching, I followed Martin and Tempe up the side of a steep bank made slippery by the rain. I thought I saw a stir of movement ahead of us. Then lightning struck. In the near dark, it was enough to blind me, but not before the muddy bank was highlighted in dazzling white. A tall man stood on the ridge with a drawn bow. Tempe crouched a few feet up the bank, frozen in the act of carefully placing his feet. Above him was Martin. The old tracker had gone to one knee and drawn his bow as well. The lightning showed me all of this in a great flash, then left me blind. The thunder came an instant after, deafening me as well. I dropped to the ground and rolled, wet leaves and dirt clinging to my face. When I opened my eyes, all I could see were the blue ghosts the lightning had left dancing in front of my eyes. There was no outcry. If the sentry had made one, it had been covered by the thunder. I lay very still until my eyes adjusted. It took me a long, breathless second to find Tempe. He was up the bank some fifteen feet, kneeling over a dark shape. The sentry. I approached him, scrabbling through the wet fern and muddy leaves. Lightning flickered again above us, more gently this time, and I saw the shaft of one of Martin's arrows protruding at an angle from the sentry's chest. The fletching had come loose, and it fluttered in the wind like a tiny sodden flag. Dead, Tempe said when Martin and I were close enough to hear. I doubted it. Even a deep chest wound won't kill a man as quickly as that. But as I moved closer, I saw the angle of the arrow. It was a heart shot. I looked at Martin with amazement. That's a shot to sing a song about, I said quietly. Luck. He dismissed it and turned his attention to the top of the ridge a few feet above us. Let's hope I have some left, he said as he began to crawl. As I crawled after him, I caught a glimpse of Tempe still kneeling over the fallen man. He leaned close as if whispering to the body. Then I saw the camp, and all vague curiosity about the Adam's peculiarity was pushed from my mind. That's the page and the chapter. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. This is a very cinematic moment. I could picture it very clearly, you know, the creeping through the woods, the the sentry outlined by a flash of lightning, everyone kind of like panics, Quoth doesn't really see what happens, and then when he looks up again, the sentry is dead, because Martin got to him first. Yeah, it does feel very, I don't know, familiar almost, just like you've, you've, like you've seen it before and you'll see it again. Because it's reminiscent of things like, you know, like a sniper duel in a movie uh, you know, where people are using guns or like a, you know, a dramatic samurai showdown where everything's kind of over in a. Yeah, in a I was flash. I was going to say it reminds me of a Kurosawa action scene. Mm-hmm. It's like great big moments, great big um, frozen images. Yeah. And not being totally sure what's going on. Yeah. I, I will confess to some confusion when Quoth describes the sentry as like having a drawn bow. Because to me, that means like it's not just like he's got the bow out. It's that he's like knocked an arrow he's like pulling it back he's ready to shoot yeah i think what happened is he saw tempe but it took me a while it took me 
a couple of times reading that passage to understand, oh, like we're seeing the sentry in the moment before he's about to shoot someone and Martin gets the drop on him just like an instant sooner. Yeah, exactly. Because for anyone who doesn't know, like part of the reason why that gave me pause is because once you've like drawn the arrow back, holding the bow ready to like ready to loose is very difficult and only gets harder the more you do it and your aim gets worse because you're like your arms start to shake from the tension of holding it taut when you shoot a bow you're kind of supposed to draw and loose you know in one smooth motion so that that doesn't happen so like just the idea that they came across him with his bow drawn struck me as odd until i realized that he's only just drawn it he hasn't just been like standing there with a drawn bow for an hour yeah no he definitely he he spotted them there's a lot of luck happening here martin dismisses it but going through the rest of the scene, pretty much everything goes perfectly for our little band, including the climactic lightning strike that kind of ends it all. One wonders if there's more than just a little bit of luck at play here. Perhaps a knack. Yeah, knack maybe, but like, you know, we'll we'll get to that a little bit later, I suppose. But like, we, we should keep, we should wonder about like, Quoth goes out of his way. Like, it would have been easy for... Rothfuss to be like yeah he was shot by an arrow and died because we're used to that we're used to movies where like someone takes an arrow and drops dead but if you think about it for more than a second the human body is quite resilient if you get shot by an arrow I don't think you're going to drop dead immediately you're going to linger for a while and and scream and and weep and bleed before you actually expire so to be instantly killed by an arrow it needs to be a very difficult shot same with even a bullet like I don't think people I don't know that much but I, I imagine that it's actually pretty hard to get like shot dead immediately by a bullet in a firefight unless you're like unless someone unless you are shot through the heart yeah there aren't that many ways to like instantly kill someone yeah exactly so i, I think that this is you know and the fact that rothfuss slash quoth call attention to it perhaps say that we should look at it a little bit closely like martin doesn't think much of it martin goes ah, i was a lucky shot but a lot goes right so maybe there's something else at play here that's uh that's helping them Got the, it's got the sort of finger on the scales. I guess my interpretation of this moment is simply that Martin is downplaying just what an incredible archer he is. Could be. He's saying, oh, oh no, I just got lucky. But I think Quoth is like, you like got the drop on that guy when he had all, like, you managed to shoot that guy before he shot us, even though he spotted us first in like a, in like a single flash of lightning and like a stormy evening. And your one shot hit him in the heart and killed him. My under my takeaway was that, oh, Martin is actually like a dead eye with a bow. But I I think that I want to, I agree with you that like maybe we should be paying attention to see if there's more at work than that. But that that was my initial reading of, of that moment. It's also important. I'm just, I'm just, I'm poking ahead a little bit, but it's very important that Quoth has a dead body close at hand. That's so morbid. Yes, it is morbid. And I think that because uh, like I, I said, I'm, I'm reading forward a bit. And I don't want to give it away too much. But the morbidity of what Quoth is about to do didn't really sit like didn't really. I didn't think much of it the first time I read the book. And now that we're about to get to it again, I'm like, oh, this is really like nasty. What's about to happen? But we can leave that as a bit of a trailer, a bit of a teaser for those of you who have forgotten what's about to happen. Yeah, actually, I completely forget and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I am just like making assumptions based on all the things you are saying. And it is terrible. <laughs> Morbid. 
More like Lespid. More like Morbius, the hit film <laughs> starring Jared Leto that is certainly going to make a lot of money. That's right. Every Everyone's favorite superhero. Okay, wait. Speaking of films, two questions. One, the bit you did at the beginning of this episode is because the new Batman is good? It's extremely good. It absolutely overwrites all previous okay. canon. And all of us at Page of the Wind Enterprises support that, especially the I mean, retcon I haven't seen it. that uh, Martha's uh, uh, maiden name is Arkham. I mean, look, it's fine for that movie, but it's not correct. <laughs> oh. I mean, I don't think anything ever will make me turn my back on Batman the Animated Nor Series. You. But you should check your contract exactly. because you you are <laughs> so not I'm allowed to publicly <laughs> may say the stances of Page of the Wind Enterprises. Well, you guys got contracts? Uh... <laughs> Jordana, don't you have something to say uh, on this page? I do. I do truly have something to say. This is the end of a chapter. That chapter is called To Sing a Song About, and we get it directly in the text when Quoth, uh, talking about Martin's shot, says that it's a shot to sing a song about. Yep. And I hope that at some point he does write and sing that song, because that'll be great. Martin, he shot a guy in the heart in the dark. In the dark, he shot a guy in the heart. Another example of one of my favorite tropes in fiction, which is where they say the name of the thing that they're in, while they're doing it. <laughs> yes, if only I, Quoth, could discover the name of the wind. <laughs> Which I think he does say at some point, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the phrase the name of the wind does come up a lot in that book. Yeah. It's like that scene in uh, it's like that scene in the Matrix Resurrections when Neo goes, This is a real Matrix resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely a thing he says. He says it all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's like his catchphrase. We have a letter today from Desert Dry who writes on episode uh, and page 561. Male Alvaron is a man with a lot of money. Does Temerant know what insurance is in this world? I think I've heard Quoth mention it in commentary about money, such as with Shaldish silver lenders and such. A man with a lot of money doesn't make an important decision without a fallback plan, such as insurance. To send a small team off without preparation is extremely sus. Without some kind of training, without some kind of introduction, and just letting the group make up their own standards on the run, feels very much like the mayor is disowning them and their methods in a major way. I seem to recall you guys commenting on this relationship when it happened on the page, but I can't remember if both Quoth and Mayor Alvaron verbalized the unusual independence and borderline estrangement between themselves. And it is uncertain what the mayor verbalized or contractually agreed to between the other members of the group, since, if I remember correctly, the mayor was not there when Quoth finally met up with the other four. However, on the subject of temporary work, this kind of agreement with informal ends does occur today, though rarely. It happens most for those who are outside of the culture trying to get in, or for those who are willing to make compromises in order to take money from those who would give it. Is Quoth always outside a bigger and more wealthy in culture? Quoth has no family wealth that Temerant or the U.S., for that matter, would recognize and respect. What about narrator Quote? Does he have the family respect of the quiet town where he operates an inn? Does Quote have their respect and not Quoth? Can Quote save Quoth from some doom? A quiet type and nice old man who has given up so much potential just to remain alive? If so, that could be the most tear-jerking heroic moment I could think of. May your trails be hidden around canyon walls, signed... D D. Now, normally I would nod along with you and say, 
let's dive into and uh, dissect the intricacies of the mayor's relationship to this uh, this group. But I also can't help but wonder if it's just meant to like be familiar to D and D players, because this really is a D and D party, and this really is the kind of vague uh, mission that you get from a uh, a quest giver in a and d game or like in a game of Shadowrun, this is the kind of thing you'd get from a Johnson. And I kind of wonder if maybe we can answer all the questions by thinking of them as like, as Shadowrunners, as like deniable assets that have been sent out into the board with more or less carte blanche to accomplish a task as long as it's deniable. I kind of feel like that's where it's coming from. I would like to point out that they're not deniable. He has like a letter of writ from the mayor. Does he? Doesn't he? I thought the mayor had given him like like here's the thing, so that people will know you, that you have. I'm pretty my sure authority. he just gave them the money because if they flash around a writ, then it's gonna it's going to uh, draw attention. I think they just have a bunch of money. You know what? I think you're right. I think that I think that's correct. Never mind. I I take it all back. Hey, wait though. Couldn't they still have a writ and not flash it around? Well, but even if that was the case, then they wouldn't be deniable because if they got the whole point of a deniable asset is that there's no way to trace it back to whoever hired you, right? Like CIA agents don't go out into the field to black bag somebody with their like CIA badge on them, right? Because if they get caught in another country, they the CIA wants to be able to say, we don't know who that guy is and there's no way you can prove that we do. Right. So like if Quoth was killed and then they rolled over his corpse and found, oh, that's the mayor's seal. This guy's working for the mayor. Then he's not a deniable asset. Right. But why does he have to be a deniable asset? Well, there's the question, right? Like, I think the mayor has has indicated that when he sends soldiers, they just they just disappear. So he needs to send something a little more clandestine. But it's actually not clear why he can't like I think that's what desert is. um is kind of getting at here. Like what is the nature of the mayor's agreement with this mercenary group? And what is it that the mayor actually wants from this? Because like, as we're about to see, they're pretty overmatched. And I think it should be obvious to anybody based on the sophistication and the, uh, the amount of money that they've been able to steal, that this is a bigger operation than this five man party can accomplish like i i've been saying this the whole time that it seems like a very small crew to be sent to like exterminate a group of bandits now if it's just like a ragtag group of thugs maybe that's different but as we learn this is like a military unit essentially this is like as many as 20 men organized like a military unit so they're way they're way out of their out of their depth here and so how much of that did the mayor know how much did he expect them to be able to actually handle this versus how much of it was just like a way to get rid of Quoth or, you know, however. And that's another thing is like, if he all he wanted to do was get rid of Quoth, then why would he burn the rest of the assets on this? Because it seems like he actually values Dayton, Hespi and Martin, like Martin's crew. I think that, I think we've talked about this a bit that like his, his biggest plan was just like to get Quoth out of the city for a little while on a wild goose chase and then have him come back cap in hand and say, sorry, I couldn't find the bandits. And then, he gets to go tut tut tut. I guess I couldn't trust you after all. I don't think that he necessarily like actually intended Quoth to find the bandits. I don't think he intended Quoth to die. I don't think he's been set up. I just really think that the Quoth wanted that the mayor wanted Quoth out of his hair for a little while, kept him in like pretty safe hands with these uh, with these mercenaries, and he gets a win win. If Quoth actually manages to kill the bandits, he gets rid of the bandit problem. Otherwise, 
Quoth is out of his hair for some time, and he gets to say he was doing something about it, and he gets to get out of Quoth's debt. Lovely. Agreed. Good. Well, uh, this letter uh, episode has gone on rather long, uh, so we should wrap it up. Although, if you have been enjoying the show, why don't you give us a rating on whatever rating platform you feel is best? I think iTunes is now defunct, but Apple Podcasts is a thing. I know Spotify has ratings now. Yeah, wherever you're listening. Give us a five-star rating, or less if you think we deserve less than five stars. But if you do, why are you listening to us? Go listen to Adventure Zone or whatever. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Is Adventure Zone a real thing? Yeah. Oh. The McElroy's Let's Yeah, it's like the biggest D&D podcast of all who are the McElroys? oh boy <laughs> oh no don't say that jordana they'll come for us <laughs> we'll explain oh, this to jordana off the air and we'll see you tomorrow for another page of the wind <laughs>